Welcome to the Fun Time Program. Welcome to the Fun Time Program. I'm your host, Vivica Volt, and this is my co-host. With my sippy cup. I forgot to get a real cup. <laughs> I was just getting chastised for the fact that I am always drinking out of this sippy cup here. And I had given you both of the only two cups that I have in, in oh, my studio right. right now. Well, I mean, I did need my water and you know, also my cocktail. Exactly. So. so I'm drinking out of a sippy cup today. Anyway, what, what are we doing today? This is this is our second episode. Well, I mean, we should also tell them who you are. Oh, John hi. Fredrickson. I'm John Andrew Fredrickson. So, you know, great host right here. Um, so today we are going to be talking about cultural appropriation. What What is cultural appropriation? Vivica. So uh, the easiest way to explain it, it is the colonization of culture. Um, colonization. Yeah. Let's go deeper into that. What, what do you mean exactly by colonization of culture? Because, I mean, obviously colonization means you have kind of um, an oppressive... Uh, group coming into another group's territory and kind of taking over the power structure and imposing their will on on that group. Yeah. So what I mean by the colonization of culture is that it is the uh, a group that has uh, power systemically is coming in and cherry picking some of their favorite parts of uh, a culture that is in some way a minority to their own culture and then taking those uh cherry-picked parts of that culture back and either profiting from it or wearing it as a costume or uh wearing it in a way that they get praise or adoration while the people that are still in that culture are being disenfranchised or uh, in some way discriminated against for the exact same thing that they stole from that culture. Um, so what would, be, what would be an example of that? Uh, a perfect example, which is a very common example, is uh, box braids, um, micro braids, dreads. Dreads is one of the like hallmarks of cultural appropriation. Uh, war bonnets from indigenous cultures. Um, so is it, is it usually things like, like hairstyles and, and clothing and stuff like that? Can it, can it be food, you know, for example, like is eating a burrito cultural appropriation? <laughs> um, so that's very, a very common thing. Usually, um, when you're eating food and you have, uh, different types of cuisines, most of the time there is a cultural exchange, um, and an acculturation that's happening. You're not just, uh, eating a food and, disrespecting the people that that food is coming from you're appreciating at least a tiny bit of their culture and they're sharing that culture with you respectfully um the biggest issue with cultural appropriation is there is a lack of respect behind it and that is what's causing the uh disconnect and the offense mm, interesting so, so it's like somebody's kind of taking on bits and pieces of your culture without taking the time to understand what they mean, without taking the time to build the, the bridges and build the relationships, and they're just kind of cherry-picking stuff and using it in their own way, in a way that just doesn't show respect towards the original culture. Correct. And and I think you're, you're saying that usually there's, there's a power dynamic involved in this? Ah, power dynamics. Yes, indeed. So most people seem to either misunderstand or not know about uh, power dynamics and how they work. So what I mean by power dynamics is you have um, a reigning culture. Um, in this case, you have uh, white people who are the reigning 
race. When you say in this case, you mean in this country specifically. Right. So yeah. there is an oppression from white people towards minorities. And that doesn't necessarily mean that all white people are being oppressive towards every minority. That's not at all what I mean. I mean it on a systemic level across the board um, from the way that our laws are written, from the way that our laws are enforced, um, to just even the rules that we have in both schools and in uh, jobs, like in workplaces, mm -hmm. it is systemic across the board that there is levels of discrimination. Um, you see it in housing, you see it in uh, like hiring practices, you see it everywhere. Um, so there is a systemic level of oppression coming from white people. And those same white people will then turn around and because they have the power in that situation, the oppressed party is lacking a power. And so as a black person who has been systemically disenfranchised for a few hundred years, um, they are lacking a systemic level of power, which means when it comes to uh, appropriation and race dynamics, it's kind of a one-way street. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So, so why, for example, is um, you know hair, specific hairstyles? Um, what is what is so damaging about somebody? You know, why, why can't somebody be using a, a hairstyle from another culture in a way that is paying homage to that to that culture, and and maybe they they find something about that culture inspiring, and they want to incorporate some of that into their identity, and they want to live part of that identity, and they think that they're being respectful towards the culture. Um, what would you say to people like that? So the thing is, if you want to truly be respectful to a culture that you're trying to pay uh, homage to, as you say, um, you have to understand the power dynamics involved with taking parts of that culture that you appreciate and enjoy. So wearing a hairstyle that is uh, traditionally seen as black, such as micro braids or box braids, right? Um, or even cornrows. Those um, hairstyles are traditionally seen as black and black women in America today and black men as well are being discriminated against um, for, uh, for jobs, for housing and uh, for education for wearing those styles. Um, and in 48 different states, it's completely legal for an employer to fire a person based on their hair. Mm. But we will never see a white person get fired for a hairstyle that is traditionally black in the same way right. that we will see black people get discriminated against for those exact styles. So for a white person to wear that style, it's a flaunting of privilege. And that flaunting of privilege inherently lacks the respect that they would need to do it in a way that is showing appreciation. Now, what if the person who's doing it, though, just is completely oblivious to this? They have no understanding of the fact that they're flaunting um, their ability to wear these hairstyles in ways that people within the African-American community are not necessarily able to wear those hairstyles in the same situations that the white person is able to get away with it, let's say. You know, right. they, they, don't, they are an understanding of, of, of what the ramifications of, what the, the cultural, um, you know, uh, impressions are that other people get when they see them wearing those hairstyles. Um, let's say somebody just thinks that they're being respectful. How do you how do you treat a situation like that? Does that still make them a bad person? Does that still mean that they're doing cultural appropriation in a way that is that is offensive, even if they're just completely oblivious to the ways that they're what they're doing is coming across as offensive? 
So that's actually a really great question. And the thing is, there's a misunderstanding and it's an intentional misunderstanding that is built into our idea of uh, how we look at race and racism. Um, there is the idea that if you are racist, you are inherently a bad person. It is a moral judgment on your character. Mm -hmm. However, you can say and do racist things and still be a good person. It's not a moral judgment of your character. It's an indictment of the fact that you grew up in a racist society and it is a reflection of the society that you grew up in. So even though I may look at someone and say, okay, they're doing something racist, that doesn't necessarily mean that I think that they are a terrible person. If it is pointed out to them that what they are doing is in fact racist, it is in fact harmful, and it is in fact disrespectful to a particular culture, and they choose to keep engaging mm -hmm. in that act, that's when I'm going to say, okay, I no longer think, I'm no longer giving you the benefit of the doubt that you may in fact be a good person because you are choosing willfully now to engage in a racist act and versus doing it completely ignorantly, not knowing right. the ramifications. How do you differentiate between somebody who, I mean, obviously there are racists who really just want to do harm to people of, of certain other races and think of them as less than human and, and think of them as not belonging within their culture. Uh, almost you could say active racists, racists who, who are making an active effort to, to put down another race intentionally mm -hmm. versus somebody who, who is, you know, doing something like this with, with uh, the cultural appropriation where they're maybe not necessarily fully aware of the way that their actions are affecting other people and that they can be educated on it. And, and it's somebody who you might be willing to approach and actually engage them on this issue and, and, and hope to have a positive exchange on it versus, you know, the other scenario where it's just like, they're just a fucking asshole. <laughs> you know right. I okay. Mean? So the, I the, mean, linguistically, how do you differentiate? So most of the time you have a situation where the people who are outright racist are going to let you know that they are outright racist. Right. Um, especially in reaction to someone like me, um, who happens to be of a darker complexion. So they're going to immediately react to me in a more negative way. They're going to be more hostile towards me. They're going to uh, be less likely to listen to me. They're going to be less likely to want to engage with me. Um, that being the case, I'm not going to waste my time, effort, or energy to try to educate them because right. They are choosing that willful ignorance. But linguistically, how do you differentiate between that type of person and the type of person who's just doing cultural appropriation in an ignorant way? I mean, linguistically, I... Because I think one of the worries is that if we use the same word for both, right. and you're saying that in the case where somebody's doing it out of ignorance and it's not intentionally harmful, um, that you don't necessarily see them as a bad person, you just see them as somebody who, you know, hopefully you can have a conversation with them to help them understand why their actions are, are, are making you feel a certain way. Um, but if we use the same word to describe both of those people, and they're vastly different in terms of the, the, the harm that they can potentially cause, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, how do we differentiate them linguistically? You know, um, I would say you have the overt and inadvertent racist. Right. Um, so the inadvertent racists are the people who are doing things accidentally, who are saying uh, things that are microaggressions, that are... Uh, reacting to people in a way that is uh, harmful, but they don't really realize that it's harmful or they're reinforcing uh, racist stereotypes without realizing that they're doing so. These are inadvertent racists. And most of the time, these are the same people who 
consider themselves good people and want to learn to do better and they want to learn to be better. And those are the people that I'm always going to be willing to at least give some effort into educating. Mm -hmm. It's the overt racist that I'm just going to say, no, I'm not even going to waste my time because it's not in my best interests and personal safety to try and educate someone who sees me as a hostile. They're just a vile person. Now, is it fair to say that most likely, <laughs> uh, I would say it's unlikely for somebody who is an overt racist to want to culturally appropriate from a race that they are overtly racist towards? Or do you think that's not accurate? That's not as accurate. Um, so the biggest irony is that a lot of people who are overtly racist are also the same people to say, I am not racist. So Sean Spencer, um, who was, uh, or was it Steven Spencer or Sean Spencer? Who? Um, the guy who was running the uh, Unite the White rallies. Yeah, I should look it up. I'll look it up. Continue. Um, he was asked... Wait, if I Google this right now, is this going to become part of my Google history? I don't think so. Unite the White. I'm, I'm interested <laughs> in Unite the White right now. Should, just, should I? Am I going to end up on a list somewhere, Google? I hope not. <laughs> um, Sean, I'll just get a Google Sean Spencer. We'll see what yeah. comes up. So He's a mixed martial artist. Uh, yeah, maybe that's not the right one. Anyway, continue. Football player? I'm terrible with names. I don't remember. Um, but he basically was asked... Do you consider yourself racist? Because he was running the Unite the White rally. Unite the Right. Unite the Right. Oh, I heard White. Um, Richard Spencer Richard and Jason Spencer. Kessler. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, I was right on the last name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he says he's not a racist. He's the first person. If you ask him, he will say, I am not racist. But I think that white people are supreme. I mean, you can't you can't even engage that in the conversation. The cognitive it's just absurd. dissonance that's happening there is well, it's just absurd. Yeah, but that's the problem. You have a bunch of people who are fully convinced that they are not racist while they are saying and doing very racist things. Hmm. Um, you can't. But I'd, I'd still put the, so I, I'd put him in in an overt racist. category. Oh no, he's right? absolutely in an overt racist category. I'm not in any way saying that he's not an overt racist. But, but would somebody like him? be culturally appropriating parts of a culture that he is being racist towards. A lot of times people like him, uh, very secretly love things like hip hop music and rap music really? and, Oh yeah. And we'll That's have like a black girlfriends that they keep on the side without telling anybody. Oh yeah. Um, overt racists love black culture much more than you expect them to. Well, I'm just absolutely befuddled <laughs> and confused by that. I, 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 I haven't come across that, so I'm just going to take your word for that. I've come across it far too many times. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Actually, how I, th I think I have heard these stories. Never mind. I take that back. <laughs> but we're, we're, we're not necessarily going to get into that today. Um, so I guess where I was going with that was if somebody is doing cultural appropriation, mm -hmm. can we usually assume, ignoring the overt racist and those specific examples right. that you're talking about, most of the time it's, it's out of ignorance. 
Yeah, I'm going to say most of the time it's out of ignorance. And it's one of the reasons why if I see someone who's engaging in cultural appropriation, I'm very likely to kind of give them that like gentle nudge, like, hey, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but what you're doing is actually offensive. And what's the feedback usually like when you talk to people like that? Uh, usually very defensive, unfortunately. Um, there have been a couple times where I've had someone actually be receptive to hearing it and it was unfortunately hard for them to hear um, because they considered themselves an ally. They considered themselves uh, someone who was working towards uh, a, the end goal of helping unite all of the different uh, races and have kind of like the one big happy family. Um, but they didn't realize that they were engaging in cultural appropriation on a level that negated their ability to be a proper ally. What was their specific cultural appropriation, if you don't mind? Uh, it was a white woman who had dreads for the last five years, and she saw it as part of her identity. And she said that it uh, was the first time she had had long hair where she didn't hate looking at herself in the mirror, and she felt more feminine having long hair and hadn't found a way that she had been able to take care of her hair prior to, uh, letting it dread. And she was also the same person who would try to, um, lecture people about black lives matter and about, um, different, very liberal talking points and try to educate people about equality and, uh, social justice. And, um, so would you consider her an ally on those issues? Aside from the cultural appropriation thing, if, if, if that weren't a part of her identity, would you consider her an ally? Um, I would consider her someone who has the potential to be an ally um, but it would be very difficult for me to consider her an ally because the message that her hair was sending. No, I'm saying if, if, if her hair were not a part of it, right. if, her, so hair were not if her hair was not a part of it, um, I would say that she would probably be at least a half decent ally, if not, um, in, a, in what other ways, which would, would she have not? Well, been I mean, I don't know her super well, so okay. I don't know okay. like okay. super in detail, like what, like, so I'm not going to say she was an amazing ally just except for this one thing. Um, cause I don't know her super well, but at the same time, um, I was able to let her know like, Hey, as someone who has never really interacted with you face to face, um, cause this was all on Facebook cause Facebook is a mm -hmm. ridiculous, wonderful and terrible place. Um, I was able to basically say, Hey, just so you know, as a black person, if I saw you walking down the street, my immediate reaction to you would be, I can't fuck with that racist bitch. And I would not simply because of her hair, simply because of her hair, because to me, just engaging with her adds so much more emotional labor to my engagement, because in order for me to have a conversation with her to look past her hair, I have to at some point have a conversation with her about her hair. Mm -hmm. And that is putting the burden on me to educate her. And it's putting the burden on me to potentially put myself in a harmful place where she is defensive and may get aggressive because again, I don't know her well enough to say, ah, she's definitely not going to get aggressive with me. Um, 
or make me out to be the aggressor in the situation, which I've worked very hard in my life to not come across as an angry black woman in every situation. And so I try to avoid situations that will very easily make me look like one. <laughs> and that would be one. Mm. Do you um, feel that there's a societal pressure to avoid that? Uh, yeah, I feel like there has been kind of a pressure uh, growing up to not be angry because the moment that I show displeasure, it becomes, I am immediately uh, quantified as an angry black woman, even if I'm only vaguely displeased. And then as an angry black woman, I'm immediately seen as aggressive and potentially a threat, um, even when I'm just somewhat upset. Mm -hmm. um, so I have had to monitor my emotions a lot more carefully uh, so that I don't come across as constantly aggressive. Okay, because you're aware of the fact that people may have a, a stereotype in their head already before before they even really get to know you and, right. and you don't want to confirm that stereotype. So you kind of play to the other side of that. And, mm -hmm. Okay. That's interesting. So, so in general, when you come across somebody like that, who, who is wearing the dreads and, um, you know, if you were to see her on the street, you would just assume that she's not an ally, assume that she's somebody you didn't really need to get to know and assume that she was somebody you'd much rather just not get involved with and not have a conversation with. Correct. And, and then I think you were saying that on Facebook though, that she was basically trying to say how she is an ally and that she doesn't understand why she can't, um, be respectful towards the culture that she's appropriating. Correct. And so I basically said that one of the reasons that she cannot be an ally while also wearing dreads is that while wearing dreads, you are basically flaunting your privilege in the face of all of the people of color, specifically black people who have lost their jobs or lost out on their education um, or lost out on opportunities because of that exact same hairstyle. Or, or feel that they're not able to have that hairstyle because they would Correct. lose out on those opportunities. Okay. Correct. Um, so, so she has a privilege where she's able to do it. And even if she doesn't have like a job as a lawyer or a job where maybe it wouldn't have worked out for her, the fact that she does have some way of earning a living or is, is able to live in life without having to think about the hairstyle of possibly affecting her is, is a privilege that people within the, the black community don't have that privilege and Correct. it's their hairstyle. Correct. So it's like, I can wear it and she doesn't even realize how the culture that she's appropriating it, appropriating it from is not able to wear it in the same way that, that she is. Correct. Okay. So that's where the disrespect comes in okay. where even though she is not actively trying to be disrespectful and she is in fact, actively trying to be respectful. Um, she is inadvertently doing something that is racist enough that she has clearly lost out on uh, friendships with black people who mm. saw her and wrote her off before even speaking to her. So here's a lady who's trying to be an ally, trying to be respectful of, of the culture and trying to learn more about it and basically be, you know, involved in, in, in the culture. And here she is missing out on opportunities because the hairstyle that she's wearing, the way that she's wearing her hair is turning people within that community off to her. And she's not even aware of this. Right. Wow. So how did she take that? So it was one of the first times where someone took it to heart and actually listened. And she, I mean, I didn't follow up with her because again, this was Facebook and I'm not going to follow up with every single person that I ever interact with on Facebook. Um, but she 
did take it to heart and realize that, wow, there are so many potential opportunities for close friendships that I've missed out on because of how I come across before I even open my mouth. And if my hair is doing this much harm, not only to my potential relationship opportunities, but also to my ability to be as strong of an ally, ally as I want to be, I may have to reconsider my hair choices. And I gave her the perfect example of the fact that I, as a black woman, have had my hair chemically treated uh, and chemically straightened my entire life from the time that I was seven up until January of this year. Um, and January of this year, I uh, transitioned over to natural hair. And in transitioning over to natural hair, I had to learn a whole new hair care routine. I had to learn, I had to like buy a whole bunch of different products to take care of my hair. I had to buy different brushes to take care of my hair. Um, I had to basically transition out everything that I knew about my hair prior to learn how to take care of it as it is now. And I mentioned to her that this, if this is something that as a black woman I can do where it is me wearing my natural hair may still prevent me from getting job opportunities later down the line, I think that she can find ways to take care of her hair where she will still feel beautiful and have plenty of opportunities to learn how to take care of her hair in a way that's healthy for her hair, that's easy enough maintenance that she doesn't feel stuck. And she took it to heart and thanked me for uh, very kindly pointing out that this was something that she hadn't really realized about how she was coming across. She wasn't aware of the, the yeah, wow, okay. So that, that's really powerful then, if, if you're able to have those conversations in a way where somebody can understand that they thought they were being respectful, they thought that they were you know, taking on parts of another culture in a way that, that was respectful and, and they just weren't aware of, of the ways that it was disrespectful and the ways that they were potentially missing out on relationships and opportunities to, to get to know people better because they were wearing this red flag on, on, their, on their, right. their head. Wow. Talk to me more a little bit about the power dynamics. So, so you say that power dynamics matter um, in mm -hmm. the sense that, you know, in the case of, of white culture in the United States, uh, white women specifically, um, or I assume, I assume even maybe white men in, in some cases, Just taking on general, yeah. taking on hairstyles from a culture that has traditionally been oppressed within the United States and doesn't s still, like you said, is experiencing discrimination in the workplace in regards to hairstyles. They can't, they don't have the same freedom with their own natural hairstyles, their own cultural hairstyles, their own traditional hairstyles within the workplace that a white person might um, being able to adopt some of these. So that's a power dynamic that, um, that, that makes it inappropriate. What if somebody, you know, let's say somebody, uh, somebody from a race that doesn't have that power dynamic um, appropriates uh, some of these hairstyles? So Let's say, let's say Jeremy Lin, for example, he got called out for, for having dreads. This is a kid who, um, Correct. um, Asian American, um, went to Harvard, played on the basketball team at Harvard, made the NBA, uh, blew up for like a month on the Knicks, yeah. became <laughs> sensation. It was called Lin Sanity. He was oh, the most famous the guy Sanity. in the country for about a month and yep. he was absolutely crushing it on the Knicks and has managed to still have a successful uh, NBA career since then. Uh, but is not a huge superstar otherwise, uh, very beloved within the Asian American community, um, and just an overall awesome dude. He uh, started dreading his hair at some point and was called out, I believe, by Sean Marion. 
Yeah. On so, Twitter, and, and Sean Marion basically said that you know you're. Should I pull up the actual tweet because yeah. it was actually interesting? What are your thoughts on that? So, so there, there isn't a power. There isn't the same power. I don't know if there is a power, power dynamic, but there isn't the same power dynamic between the Asian American community and the Black community in the same way that there is between the white community and and the African American community in this country. Oh, absolutely. So, so I actually have the the tweet here. It is actually Kenyon Martin. I don't know why okay. I said it was Sean Marion, but Kenyon Martin. Um, uh, he was quoted as saying, "Do I need to remind the boy his last name is Lynn?" Martin said with a sarcastic face and tone, like, come on, man, let's stop it with these people. There's no way possible he would have made it on one of our teams with bullshit, with that bullshit on his head. Come on, man. Somebody needs to tell him like, all right, bro, we get it. You want to be black? Like, we get it. But your last name is Lynn. So this is interesting because I mean, we talked about, you know, how there isn't necessarily a power dynamic here. But at the same time, what Jeremy Lynn is doing is obviously coming across as offensive Mm -hmm. to people within his own community. I mean, he's part of the basketball community, right? right? So within his own community, people that that he should generally consider his coworkers, his colleagues, his, you know, his um you almost want to say like brothers yeah, in the sense yeah. that they're they're very like very it's a community. Mm -hmm. Um he's doing something that he obviously thought when he did it was being respectful or or wasn't at least being disrespectful. You would assume, I can't imagine he did it with the intention of pissing pissing people off. But there obviously it came there, off yeah. to some people in a way where they're like, no, I don't I don't find that respectful. So so I guess what I'm asking is, does there need to be a power dynamic for something to be cultural appropriation? So yes and no. Um so the power dynamic um from the oppressed party to the marginalized party um, is where you get the cultural appropriation. However, from an oppressed party to an oppressed party, it's not officially appropriation. It's what's considered a culture vulture. So it's... Who defines these terms? Like who decides it's officially this or it's officially that? Like is it just, is it just people's opinions and people discuss these things and it's kind of decided within the community? Like if I Googled this right now, could I, could I Google the difference between cultural appropriation and... Culture vulture. Culture vulture sounds worse. I'm not going to lie. Like, <laughs> I feel like I'd be more offended if somebody called me a culture vulture. Well, I feel like I would be a little bit more offended if someone called me a culture vulture, too, because uh, <laughs> the thing about uh, being a culture vulture is you are coming from a disenfranchised group. So you understand what it's like to have your culture uh, be appropriated. You understand what it's like to have your culture be uh, discriminated against. You have that understanding of having seemingly sacred things from your culture being um, exploited and taken away from you. And to do it to another culture for funsies is arguably more offensive because you know how much that hurts. Mm, so it's almost like you expect a certain, uh, you, it's almost like you expect more understanding yeah. from another culture that's been through a similar experience. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Okay, so, th so there doesn't necessarily have to be a power dynamic. It can it still be offensive. It can still be offensive, it even if there isn't the same power dynamic of the oppressor to the oppressed. Right. Um, so it is uh, a perfect example was uh, a few years back, Nicki Minaj released a video where she was dressed up in all Asian garb and was kind of play acting as a geisha. Ooh, that was offensive. Like it, mm, I could not watch all the way through that video because I was like, Nikki should have known better. So can you be offended even if you're not a part of the, the culture that's being appropriated? Absolutely. Because I'm offended for the fact that she chose to 
not only uh, wear another culture as a costume, but also she's making other black people look bad by association because she's choosing to engage in this behavior where it's already so easy for people, especially from uh, the white dynamic to look at black people and say, oh, see, they're doing yet another thing that like they say we can't do, but they're doing it. Mm. And if they can do it, why can't we? Yeah, I can and see that. It so, becomes, so you're upset from that perspective where it's like she's making it more difficult for you to call out other people for cultural appropriation when mm -hmm. she's appropriating other cultures and basically watering down or muddying the waters and making right. it unclear if maybe. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so it's uh, it's hard not to be offended by that because. I want. Like, I always want to uplift black people, I want a. I want it to be a lot harder to be reproached, right? So I mm -hmm. want to be above reproach at all times. And in that kind of a situation, it's almost difficult because she should have known better. And I mean, as an artist, there are plenty of like limbs that artists step out onto in trying to be edgy or cool or whatever. But every part of that was just mm, not it. And little Kim did that back in the nineties and caught a lot of flack for it. So, so, so is there, is like, there a way to incorporate parts of other cultures? Cause art in general loves to draw influence from other cultures. Yves Saint Laurent was famous for living in Marrakesh in Morocco and drawing inspiration from the color and the beauty and, and the, and the, and you know, the, the different styles in that city. Mm -hmm. Um, he also took a lot of flack for it because <laughs> he was somewhat of, a, of an oppressor living, you know, amongst the aristocracy in a gated community while there was just rampant poverty. I mean, it's still like that. I, I went to Marrakesh a couple of years ago and it really it was extremely uncomfortable seeing the dichotomy of, of the wealth next to the just abject poverty. Um, but but, you know, other other examples. Um, it, is it possible to draw inspiration from other cultures, to incorporate it into your art, into your creative expression? Maybe not necessarily into your identity. And that's where I can see the problem with the hairstyles, with clothing, with jewelry can be challenging. Like, for example, if I were to walk down the street wearing that necklace, I think that could potentially be offensive to, to people or right. definitely would be <laughs> offensive to people. A little bit people. more on the definite side, um, but yeah. Um, but as an artist, I, I don't have any of that inspiration to, to try to adopt these things as my identity in the way that somebody wearing dreads might. Mm -hmm. But I still want to be able to draw inspiration from other cultures in my art right. and in my artistic expression in a way that's respectful to those cultures. What would you say to artists who want to be able to do this, want to be able to draw inspiration, want to be able to do it in a respectful way? How do you go about doing it in a respectful way? So the best thing to do is to talk to someone who is actually from that culture, uh, preferably pay someone from that culture um, if you have the means of doing so to educate you on what is and isn't appropriate uh, from their culture to borrow. So there are plenty of things from, say, uh, like African-American culture, where like if you're going to come have food with us, like I'm absolutely going to feed you. I'm absolutely going to show you like what our ribs are like. I'm going to show you like how our cornbread is just banging. Right. So there are plenty of things that like I am happy to share, but is cornbread a... I mean, it's a Southern thing. 
Because I, I grew up with but, a southern mother, and we we love oh yeah cornbread like, growing up, and oh, so right. my my only connection to that is right. Is, but like, <laughs> have you had a black woman's cornbread? I have not. Okay, all right. So that's what I'm saying. Like, but but what I'm asking is <laughs> is is that something that comes from the black community specifically, or is it just a southern thing in general? That, I think that's just a southern thing in okay. general. But okay. um, I'm just saying like. <laughs> Black people do it better. All right, we'll have to now have that, a cook-off, Mom. No. You ready? You ready? To, you ready to have a little cornbread cook-off? Do you eat it with molasses? Because we always had it with molasses. Oh, you know, actually, I prefer it with honey. But like, I would try it with okay. your molasses. Okay. All right. Like, Mom, get ready. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, so how 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 can you do it? It's you, you, it's, it's about talking. Yeah. So it's about it's engaging. About, right. It's about engaging the culture. So like. Um, another great example is, uh, engaging with a native American, uh, tribe or an, sorry, indigenous American tribe that's in your, uh, local area. Why do you say sorry? Uh, because the proper term is indigenous American, not native Since American. Since when I've never heard that. Oh, well. You're educating me now. I love it. I love educating you. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> um, so I heard it about three years ago. Uh, people still use Native American, don't they? People do still use Native American, um, but Indigenous Americans have asked that we call them Indigenous, not Native. Hmm. Um, and I want to be respectful to okay. the Good people to who have asked. <laughs> that seems easy enough. Yeah. I, I feel like it's the easiest change in language. So Yeah. yeah. Anyway, you were... Right. So uh, if you were to approach an Indigenous tribe and a lot of times they are going to have things on sale and a lot of times the things that they have on sale are available to the public knowing for a fact that they are sharing the parts of their culture with you. But that doesn't mean every part of their culture is available for share. So you have people who are wearing war bonnets. That was never something that was available to share from an indigenous tribe. That was not something that they put up as a, hey, y'all can have this, like wear it to parties and like have a great time in costumes. Um, it was something that was stolen from their culture and a mockery was made of it. And that mockery became, uh, almost a costume icon. So like the will. headdress, for example, right. Which is called a war bonnet, a war bonnet. Mm -hmm. Bonnet seems like a cute little thing that a uh -huh. little, little white you, girl would wear. Yeah, maybe you should look up a picture. They are. I know not what a war bonnet looks like. I've just never not, heard it called that. They're dope, but yeah. they are not cutesy. No, they're fierce. They are very fierce. Um, so war bonnets were not something that Indigenous Americans ever intended to share. It was something that um, was used as a mockery of them, especially in the cowboys and Indians kind of trope. Um, especially in that like Wild West kind of way um, where you have all these kids running around in like fake feather uh, war bonnets yeah. and turning around and being like, I'm an Indian. Woo, 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 woo. Super offensive. I mean, the whole history of, of still very offensive of, of relations between the what were called the Indians mm -hmm. at the time. And, and, and the white settlers, um, especially in, in popular media up through the 30s and 40s, the whole John Wayne mm -hmm. era. And, I mean, it's just phenomenal looking back on these things, how insensitive it was. Yeah. And how oblivious super. people were to how insensitive it was. Because there wasn't, there wasn't enough actual communication going on between the cultures. Correct. It was literally just 
the settlers, the white culture that was pulling parts of that of those cultures that they were oppressing and using them in a way that was entertaining and comical and what they thought was just, you know, having fun with it without recognizing that it is it was extremely offensive to us. And the same thing was done with with the African American community as well. With right. The, the well, I mean actors. what you're describing, that like cherry picking different right. parts of a culture and using it for their own entertainment and or um so that, that's interesting, though, because that that to me is an obvious example. Right. Like when we look back on the way it was back then, that's obvious. I mm-hmm. think the problem that we have today is to be able to look on our current actions mm-hmm. with the same clarity that we're able to look on actions from 40, 50 years ago or even like, let's say, 20, 30 years ago um, and seeing them from from somehow we've evolved. We've evolved in our communication and our understanding of one another right. to the point that we can look at the cowboy and Indian movies and be like, yeah, that, 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 that's, that's unfortunate, we you know, the way that, that, that yeah. we were portraying, betraying those, um, and that we wouldn't do today. But then how do we look at our current actions today within media, within art, within just individual people adopting different parts of different cultures? You know, how do we get that perspective to continue to evolve our, our, our understandings of these things with, I mean, I guess it's communication. It's absolutely communication. Yeah. So if you're talking to someone who is from the culture that you are being inspired by, they can absolutely tell you what is and isn't sacred in their culture. So perfect example, um, going back to the hair situation. So as a black woman, especially as an African-American in this country, when we were brought here on slave ships, we were stripped of every part of our original African culture. We were not allowed to keep anything that we originally had. And while we were on the plantations, one of the only things that we were actually able to pass down from generation to generation was how we maintained our hair, because it was something that we had to know. It was something that we had to be able to do um, to have hair that was even generally tolerable. Do you know if there was an oppression of of like what hairstyles were allowed by different um, slave masters? I mean, was there much of of a movement to oppress that? I mean, I think that that was, it probably varied from plantation to plantation, but it also, I think if I'm not mistaken, and this is not something that I'm like super uh, well-versed in, but I'm almost positive that there was a movement to have uh, slaves' hairs covered um, Mm. and have like bonnets on, things like that, because... Bonnets. Bonnets. Um, (laughs) Because that was very much a style that was happening across the board uh, in that day where like lower class people had, uh, like, especially women wore bonnets. Mm. Um, so it would make sense that they would just have to wrap their hair. Right. I mean, I think it's undeniable that there was a huge effort made to strip them of their culture. Correct. Yeah. And that was a very intentional effort. And, but you're saying that still to this day though, despite those efforts, hairstyles have been one of the few things that has managed to survive. Correct. So what we think of as traditionally black hairstyles are coming from those hairstyles that we have passed down through the generations. So Mm -hmm. cornrows were one way that was a very easy way to maintain our hair on plantations. Um, Like having dreads was another way that was a very easy way to maintain our hair, twists, things like that. Um, But those styles have since evolved, obviously, as our culture and society has evolved and how that we've now had access to better hair products, better hair care, better knowledge about our hair. But there is still a very distinct hair culture 
that happens in the black community because black hair is such a distinct thing to be able to deal with. Mm. Um, so having to spend so much time getting to a style that is not only acceptable in society, but is also something that makes me feel good and something that is actually protecting my hair and not breaking it out or um, damaging my hair in some way is a really fine line to balance. Um, because when I was chemically treating my hair and straightening it for years, it was damaging my hair constantly. The amount of time that I would spend just have applying heat to my hair um, was so, so damaging long term. Um, not to mention the health effects of uh, chemically straightening hair. Um, so just being able to fit into the European beauty standards so that I could potentially get a job mm -hmm. um, was not only incredibly time consuming, um, detrimental to my health and also just detrimental to my hair. So, and, and even your mental health, though, because you're saying that it, you're, you're feeling that you're not able to have the natural styles that would be your cultural tra tradition mm -hmm. and would just be your natural way of doing your hair and the healthy way of doing your hair. Correct. You're not able to have these things. You feel oppressed in that capacity. Mm -hmm. And then you see these white ladies uh, rocking these rocking these hairdos just, just for fun for and getting compliments and, and taking right. advantage of it. Yeah. Now, it's interesting, though, that you pointed out that the cornrows, for example, um, was something that was very utilitarian. Like you put your hair in cornrows because it enables you not have to worry about your hair out in, you know, in nature or in this case in, in the fields and the plantations. Um, one example that I've, I've seen cornrows continue to be used is for that exact same reason is uh, in the UFC or in, in fighting sports. Um, the people with longer hair, uh, not always African-American, uh, Hispanic, definitely. Um, you'll see Hispanic men doing it. Uh, Jorge Masvidal is one of the most famous ones recently. Um, he grows his hair nice and long. And then when he goes to fight, he puts it in, in cornrows. Um, but I think that you even see it beyond that. You know what I mean? Where, where people, just because it's a functional thing, you need to have your hair out of the way. You need to have it in, in, in some hairstyle that it's not going to get pulled. It's not going to get in your way in the middle of the fight. And so cornrows is a very functional and utilitarian thing. Now, in this case, they're not doing it with any way of saying, I'm trying to like be this style. I'm trying to, you know, take this on as an identity thing. It's literally just, I need my hair out of the way for the fight. Do they still need to worry about the, the ramifications, the way that's coming across to the black community? It depends on how respectful they want to be to that community. So like, if they just don't give a fuck, I mean, they're going to do it one way or the other. Right. Um, but if they want to be respectful to their black brothers and sisters. Yeah. I think that there is a necessity to say maybe not cornrows because they can Ooh. easily do, uh, like boxer braids, which are two okay. French braids down each side. And oh, yeah. that is just called boxer braids, boxer braids. Mm -hmm. Anything to do with boxers. <laughs> Indeed. So oh, really? most, uh, female boxers tend to do their hair like that. Well, there you go. Okay, so there are other examples where it doesn't have to be cornrows. That's interesting. Yeah, and the thing is, there are so many braiding styles out there that aren't cultural appropriation. I'm not saying every single braid style is completely mm -hmm. off limits to white people. There are plenty of styles that are absolutely available to white people and that look fantastic on white hair that aren't appropriation and mm -hmm. that actually look better on white hair than the appropriative styles. Right. So being lazy and just doing the style that is available 
the appropriative style instead of just putting the like extra five minutes in on Google to find a braid style that not only looks dope as fuck, but is still just as utilitarian. Right. Still comes across. as. But in this case, let's say they're not doing it because they're pulling it from a culture. They're simply doing it because they came across it and it's functional and it's useful. And let's say that, you know, they're doing it in a place like Finland where the the population is 99.999% white homogenous Finn. Um, They don't have anybody within their culture that they that they could be you know potentially offending or even be aware of the fact that they're offending because they have no relationship with with that community um isolated it sounds like okay you're not offending anybody it's when you now have these cross um this cross pollination happening and you're you're living within a society where you're sharing um you're sharing space you're sharing cultural identity to a certain degree but you also have cultural disparity Mm -hmm. that you need to respect it's it's when you want to live in harmony in a, in a single place like New York City, which is a complete melting pot, we have an opportunity all the time to experience different cultures. Like every right. day you can be having dinner uh, at a different restaurant with, with a, that's very genuinely from that culture. It's not just like, you know, Olive Garden, which is like, ooh, we're the Italian restaurant. <laughs> you know what I mean? Olive it's like Garden. in New York, it's like yeah. you're actually having restaurant. You're ha- actually having dinner at an Italian restaurant that, that's run by an Italian family in, yeah. in many cases. Um, so... In the in that scenario, that's when you have to start being more aware of how your actions affect the cultures that you're interacting with. Correct. Because it, assuming that you care. Right. right. And and it's when you don't care that it feels oppressive, it feels disrespectful, and it feels like you are just acting like uh, somebody of privilege who is doing whatever they want and has no interest in building relationships and, and developing uh, bonds between the communities. Right. Well, that's the entitlement of being able to make that distinction. Okay. Um, so having the privilege to say, I don't necessarily have to care how I come across to people is part of having white privilege. Right. I have to care at all times how I come across to people, um, both in my appearance and my mannerisms and the way that I address people. In- when you say you have to care, you have to care because there are uh, ramifications for not caring. Yes. It affects your ability to to exist successfully um, in, in that society. Correct. Okay. So because I don't get the luxury of not, of being able to stop caring for a while, um, seeing someone who chooses not to care mm-hmm is someone who is flaunting their privilege in front of me, someone who is showing that they are entitled enough that, that they sense. feel like they don't need to care. And that is where it becomes offensive. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So it's not necessarily about... So this is this is something you often hear from people who don't necessarily take the time to understand the issue here and understand why people are getting upset. And from right. a distance, they just say, well, how can you tell me what to wear? How can you tell me... You know, it's just a personal expression thing. I should have the right to wear whatever I want. And, you know, if it offends some people, then that's their fault for getting offended. And I didn't mean it in an offensive way. So, you know, what's the big idea? What's the big problem? You know, so just mm-hmm. let me be me and let... And, and it's, it's America. It's the land of the free, you know. But, but it mm-hmm. sounds like it's not necessarily about telling people, you cannot do this. You are being told that uh, you, there's no legislation that's being created that says you can't, you know, wear dreads. Right. The point is that if you want to in, exist in harmony in a society with multi multiple different cultures, um, you need to make the effort to understand why certain things come across in certain ways. Correct. And it's, so it's, it's, it's an appeal to people under the assumption that they care. 
Right. Rather so, than telling them you have to do this because I am now oppressing you with reverse racism. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Which is a conversation for another day. We are absolutely not getting into that one today. Um, so, yeah, basically it's a showing of mutual respect. So I'm not going to do something that I know for a fact is offensive to you just because I have no reason to be overtly offensive to you. And I would want, I would hope that you would have that same respect for me, that you would at least try to be sensitive to the fact that there are certain things that you can do that will be offensive. And if someone calls you out and says, Hey, what you're doing is offensive to me. What you're doing harms me. What you're doing hurts me. Mm -hmm. And you say shrugs, get over it diminishes my ability to trust you. It diminishes my ability to want to be around you. Um, and it diminishes my respect for you overall. So you can absolutely wear cultural appropriation, like go right the fuck ahead, but there will be consequences to it. And there will be negative societal consequences to it where you may lose out on close friendships. You may lose out on people who, uh, respect you. You may not be able to garner the same respect as, uh, the rest of your peers in the same situations because you chose to engage in this thing that was pointed out to you as offensive. And you may be perpetuating um, barriers between the cultures that we're trying to break down. Correct. You know, when you're, when you're showing that lack of respect, uh, you're, you're almost putting up barriers and saying, I don't care that there are barriers. I don't care that I'm contributing to those barriers. And I just want to continue being able to do what I want. And if people take offense at that, then it doesn't matter to me. And that basically says that you don't care about bringing people together. Right. Now, I, th- I think we need to talk about some of these interesting examples, um, okay. like, like Eminem, for example. You know, he's somebody who grew up in Detroit mm-hmm. in the hip hop community. Mm-hmm. And fully embraced it. It was his entire identity. All mm-hmm. of his friends were part of that community. Um, he gained respect within that community. He mm-hmm. wasn't vanilla ice. He wasn't right. some white kid from the suburbs who's like, I'm going to be a rapper and I'm going to, you know, take on this culture make and, it and, and make it and make it my own. Or he wasn't even Elvis who took on, you know, black music of the time mm-hmm. and totally made it his own with no, uh, no regard. We'll just know there was no give it. There was, he didn't bring them along with him. It wasn't, right. you know, it was literally just picking and choosing what he wanted from it and then running with it as if it were his own. Correct. Eminem was never like, I came up with all this stuff on my own. He was so immersed in the culture that, you know, all of his producers, all of his co-artists, all the people he collaborated with, all the people that he brought on stage with him at every point of his career or that brought him on stage with them. Dre brought him up because Dre saw him as being an awesome part of the hip hop community. Correct. Can you do, I mean, because it's still, it's still cultural appropriation. I mean, it's still a white guy doing black music, is it not? Yes. So Eminem is an unusual case because it is still cultural appropriation. He is still doing black music and profiting off of it. So he is profiting off of black culture. However, I mean, if you've ever listened to any of Eminem's like old music, he is the first person to point out he is doing black music. He knows that this is black music. He acknowledges that this is black music. He acknowledges that he is engaging in a level of cultural appropriation. The difference is that he did it with respect the entire time that he like was at his peak. Even now, he's still around, but like we don't see him as much. He's still being respectful. Still putting out an album like every I year. I fucking know. Every it's year, I, I can't keep up. Crazy to me. Like he has calmed the fuck down. He has gotten to the point where Haley is like 30 (laughs) 
<laughs> like, she our age, really? She, okay, when we were like 13, she was like probably like five. five? Yeah, so she's like, so, wow, she's like eight years younger than us. That is crazy. Yeah, so she's in her 20s. Wow. It's weird. Wow. It's real weird. I feel real old. So in the case of Eminem, there, there's a clear communication happening where right. he is involved in the community. He's communicating with the community. He's understanding the community. He's getting feedback from the community. He's yes. being molded by that community. Correct. He is not an outsider picking and choosing and keeping his distance. Correct. And he's also giving a platform to other black artists. Mm -hmm. So there were plenty of times where he brought black artists that may have been lesser known, that may have been um, more obscure, and he made sure to give them a platform, yeah. whether it was having them collab on a song, whether it was having them uh, come on stage with him, whether, like, whatever that was, he made sure to always give credit to black artists to work with almost exclusively black artists and to make sure that when he was working with black artists, he was doing so respectfully. And he was also unusual in the sense that as angry and ridiculous as his music was, um, as sexist and homophobic as it used to be, he made it a point to never use the N word. And in his entire career, he only used it twice. And both times he used it, he used it in a live show with the explicit permission of the person that he was using it towards as a sign of friendship and respect. And it wasn't during a song. It was while he was having like a one-on-one, -on -one, like onstage conversation right. with one of his friends. Right. It wasn't like Sean Mendez. Right. Did you catch that whole thing? Oh, He's blowing God. up on Twitter actually today. He's, uh, I can't remember, there's some hashtag going around, but basically it's the tweets, some tweets surfaced from when he was like 14, where he was using the N-word in a positive way, like my right. brother, you know what I mean? Yeah. Joking around about it, like saying these mm -hmm. things that were just, he's some, some white kid from the suburbs yeah. and like trying to, he could not. trying to, you know, appropriate that culture essentially, right. acts like he's a part of it, where, whereas he has no connection to the community. Right. So it's just disrespectful. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's the thing. Eminem recognized that, he because like he was immersed in the community from the beginning. So there is something to be said about cultural immersion um, where it isn't as much borrowing as it is respectfully displaying the community that you are from, that you're used to being around while also. So as much as his music was appropriation, it was also a platform for other black voices. So he was being as respectful as he could while towing the line of appropriation. So he is one of the best case scenarios in that situation where mm -hmm. his entire career, he was actively trying to uplift black voices. He was actively trying to give black people a platform and make sure they were getting paid and make sure that other people were being pulled along with him. And he wasn't just, taking the money and running nice. and profiting off of this and uh, refusing to look back at the black community who built him, but instead constantly being grateful. Anytime you saw him getting an award, he was surrounded by black artists who were there ostensibly getting that award with him. Yeah. Um, he saw them as his family that like where he goes, they went. And that in and of itself is part of, the respect of the culture where he found a way to do a thing that is typically seen as cultural appropriation 
in a respectful way without completely negating his ability to be part of that culture. So as an, so back to my question about if, if as an artist you are inspired by a culture and you want to incorporate aspects of that culture mm -hmm. into your art, uh, Eminem would be an example of how to do it well. Right. Cause he, he lived uh, it. Right. And at every step he was constantly asking okay. other black artists, is this too much? Is this enough? Is this okay? Can I say this? Should I not say this? And like, I mean, he's not perfect. I don't want to go on record saying he's the shining light. Right. Except, but as an example of like example, what you should try to do. Right. Like, I don't think that he failed in his ability to be respectful to the black culture. I think that he was actually respectful in his use of rap music. Um, but I mean, again, like I said, he's not perfect. There were missed opportunities. There were places where he had missteps, what have you. Um, but I think that overall he was a better example of acculturation than appropriation. Interesting. So we differentiate between the two acculturation yes. being, you know, uh, inspiration from a culture where you're doing it in a respectful way and making the effort to to understand that you're actually doing it in a respectful mm -hmm. way because it's also possible to think you're doing it in a respectful way but not doing it in a respectful way because you're not making the effort to understand you're not making the effort to communicate mm -hmm. um we talked about the power dynamics we talked about how the power, power dynamics on an equal footing between let's say the asian community and, and the the african-american community what about reverse when when you have um somebody from marginalized community uh appropriating um aspects of a culture that is traditionally having a power dynamic over them. Um, can that be a cultural appropriation it, or is it just, just not matter in that scenario because of the power dynamic? It's like, get over it in that case. That's a beautiful question. Um, it's funny. I actually, for the longest time I was struggling to think of an example <laughs> of this. And for some reason, an example just pops in my head. So we've been having this conversation for a couple of days now. And, and this is something that I've been, you know, trying to think of, like, the, can I think of an example where this happened? Because not really. Um, the thing that popped in my head was Snoop Dogg at, at Electric Zoo. Oh, Where he's, he's doing his DJ set. That was such a beautiful... Electric Zoo is an EDM festival oh. that's basically just a bunch of really drunk and high teenage to college age kids doing drugs mm -hmm. and dancing and having a great time and expressing themselves and, 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 and it's wonderful and, uh, and ridiculous and ridiculous. And, oh my God. And, but, but for some reason, uh, Snoop Dogg oh, got booked experience. as Snoop Lion to, to DJ it. That was and when he, he, he gets up on stage and, and a reggae. He's playing all kinds of interesting stuff. And then at some point he goes, he realizes it's basically just a bunch of white kids out there. And he's like, what the fuck do white people like to listen to anyway? And he puts on 99 Luft balloons. You know yeah. what I mean? He's just, uh -huh. he's just like, basically, what do I do? I don't really know how to like, I, this isn't my crowd. You know, like a DJ, usually get up on stage and you're, you're DJing to your crowd. You know what they're looking to hear. And he basically felt out of place. And he goes, what the fuck do white people like to Rock listen it. to anyway? And plays this absurd, you know, like this is what I think white people music song is like, is that an example of him being disrespectful and does it matter? Because oh, obviously I don't really feel offended by it at the end of the day, but I'm just like wondering, like, that's an example of somebody just being like, this is ridiculous and absurd. I'm not going to make the effort to understand. I'm not going to make oh the effort God. to try to make a set that appeals to this audience. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to like do my thing. But then also the reference to like 99 Love Balloons, like <laughs> really Snoop, like that's, that's what you think white people music is. Honestly. <laughs> it's kind of fun. I mean, it's comical. But so if, here we are laughing about it. Yeah. Because the power dynamic is reversed. 
Yeah. There's no oppression happening. Correct. Nobody's getting offended by Snoop Dogg in a way where they feel like, you know. But also, I think it was just a beautiful example of him just trolling. <laughs> like, well, yes, for sure. Was... So well, well, let's talk about that, so, though. Can you just be a troll in a way that's harmless? And it's like, you know what? Get over it. Like somebody's just kind of making light of the whole situation. So in answer to your question, uh, when the power dynamics are reversed and you have a marginalized community that is taking um, aspects of the culture of the oppressive community. Um, so in this case, um, black people taking um, things from white culture and uh, making it part of their identity. Um, that is actually not appropriation. That is assimilation. And a lot of times- Oh, that's so interesting. Assimilation is actually a defense mechanism and it is for safety purposes. That's so true. Like for example, having to do your hair in a certain way in order Correct. to get job opportunities and to fit in with the culture. Having to adhere to European beauty standards to wow. get a job that is assimilation, not appropriation. That's so interesting. And that, that's so obvious now that you pointed out. Mm -hmm. Huh. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those weird things. Um, and this is why power dynamics are so important and why understanding power dynamics is so central to understanding cultural appropriation and quite a few other um, issues uh, around marginalized identity, um, like sexism, homophobia, um, transphobia, all kinds of stuff. It has to do with power dynamics. So once you understand power dynamics and their role in the overall story, right. you understand why one reverse racism isn't a thing. We're going to get to that a whole different day. We're in not even going to episode. We're literally <laughs> not I'm just, we're going to put a pin in that and come back. We got to keep this one under two hours. We're already, we're already <laughs> an hour. We're, we're, we're having a great time here. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's also why as a marginalized person, me doing things from the quote oppressors uh, culture isn't appropriation mm -hmm. um, because a lot of times I'm going to be forced to do this thing. Otherwise I'm going to suffer consequences. Right. Absolutely. Um, sometimes at the risk of my own safety. Right. Um, so in order to in any way, not only survive, but attempt to thrive, you have the, uh, necessity of assimilation yeah that makes sense it's interesting that you brought up the um the the, the kind of uh opportunity or or the, the times where marginalized groups kind of appropriate from each other i, I think we were talking earlier about earlier about um african-american vernacular mm -hmm. and how Afner, african african-american vernacular english a-a-v-e got it and 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 how it gets appropriated and where that where that often happens is interesting Oh, this one. Is this something we want to get into today? I mean, I will totally get into it today. It's just something that like is kind of a, like the teensiest bit of a sore spot for me. So the place that it is most frequently appropriated is by white cis gay men. And in case some people don't know what cis means. That just means that you are someone who identifies with the gender that you were born with. Um, so gay men, cis gay men, white cis gay men are very close to a lot of black gay men. And black gay men obviously use AAVE quite frequently. I mean, the black community in general 
uses it pretty frequently. It is, linguists have actually studied it and found that it is its own language. It is similar to English and can be understood by English speakers, but it is in fact its own language and has its own grammatical rules. And those rules actually hold up and make sense. Um, but that's again, conversation for another day. Um, but it gets appropriated very quickly through gay culture. And what ends up happening is um, because white gay males use it, then you have the drag queens who turn around and use it. And then the drag queens use it in their shows. And the people who are coming to their shows are like, oh, my God, that's so cute. I'm totally going to use that phrase. Give Absolutely. some examples. Uh, so saying like something's on fleek that came from black culture, um, saying, yes, queen, black culture. Um, those are both A-A-V-E, um, saying, get it, sis. Again, A-A-V-E. There are plenty of things, um, like finna, like I'm finna do something. That's A-A-V-E. But it gets appropriated in the sense that you like white people hear their white gay friends use it and think, oh, my God, that's just so cute. I'm just like taking it from the gay boys. So like it's totally fine. It's not. You're literally just like that's so interesting because this is this is actually one of the few things where I I realized that's something that I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that other, most people have done and not e- even realized it. Well, mm-hmm. that's that's what's so interesting about it because most of the other examples I can kind of look on and I can you know whereas necessarily before we've had this in depth conversation about why cultural what makes certain things cultural appropriation or what makes them offensive, mm-hmm. I, I had never I'd always kind of looked on them as just like you know other people exploring their uh, creative expression and it was never something that I identified with anyway. You know what I mean? Right. I wasn't I wasn't mm-hmm. going to go and do my hair in certain styles. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just not that creative uh, <laughs> uh, with my uh, styling. Um, but what's interesting I mean, the is, black is t-shirt totally gave that away. <laughs> having having been involved in the gay community here in New York, mm-hmm. it is hard not to, especially when you're in the club or at a drag show or you're just hanging out at a party. I, I tend to be a bit of a chameleon and, and pick up on some of the linguistic things happening around me. And it's fun. Or if I'm in Ireland, I start having, you know, acting like I have uh-huh. a little bit of an Irish accent, like, like that. Kind of, and they're fun to use. Like, yes, sis. Like, I've definitely said that. Mm-hmm. So. And that's challenging to not fall into that. Yeah. It's one of those weird situations where you're, especially because language is so fluid and because Uh, It's always evolving and it's always changing. It's really hard to keep track of like, where does every single thing come from? Right. Um, So you can't always say like every single word that I'm using, I know for a fact didn't come from black culture. That's really difficult to constantly police yourself, but it is worth uh, taking a moment and saying, okay, we're like, this is something that's being brought up to me. Maybe I should look into what AAVE actually is and mm-hmm. see, like, because you can start to see uh, things that are very similar sounding. So when you realize what AAVE actually is, um, you realize that there are a lot of patterns in that language. Mm-hmm. And once you see those patterns, you can start to see where the new words that we're seeing in mainstream um, society 
are coming from and where those uh yeah, I mean language is in. so challenging because it, it morphs it and it crosses it barriers. Yeah. You know, just like you're texting somebody and you'd be like, sure, homie. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, does that come from AAVE? Like I wouldn't even know. You know what I mean? So I think that that comes more just from black culture, not necessarily from AAVE. Right. But, but does, does that, am I being disrespectful in using that word in that way in a private text conversation that I had no intention of referencing anything. It was just, right. you know, for some reason it's ended up in my brain as a way of responding to somebody, even though I wouldn't necessarily like do it out in public, be like, what's up my, my homie, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to yeah. act in a certain way, but for some reason in a text I've actually used, it. I'm thinking, uh, you know, on that it's, and, and it's fascinating how things like this creep in mm -hmm. to, to your language and creep into just your thoughts even, uh -huh. um, in ways that you, you just have no ability to, to be constantly policing it unless you have had these kinds of conversations with people right. and, and you can be made, be made aware of that. And that also brings up a very uh, excellent point. No one is expecting perfection. Right. Um, when you are trying to be a better ally, no one is expecting perfection. I'm never going to expect that anyone in my life, no matter what color they are, are going to be perfect. I used to say and do a whole lot of uh, colorist and low-key racist stuff to other black people, not realizing that I had a lot of internalized racism that I had to unlearn. That's interesting. So even being a part of, well, it, you know, that's, that's funny because I say even being a part of that community, because somebody could share the color of their skin, but not necessarily have the same cultural background not as people. Not all folk or kinfolk. And, and be assumed to be a part of that community, but then not, you know, actually have the understanding. It could be in the same the same boat where they can be culturally appropriating stuff without even realizing it, thinking, oh, I have that same skin color, so I can just do whatever I want with it. I have a, I have a free pass to it. Correct. So, so I think what it comes down to at the end of the day is, is understanding, respect, and being open to continue to, to maintaining an open dialogue. Um, you know, so for example, we've talked about different levels of offensiveness and cultural appropriation right. as you get down to the language one that that's just like morphing and moving around and it's it's difficult to to main you know to constantly be uh vigilant in in policing yourself mm -hmm. i think the point is that as long as you your intentions are good and you maintain open dialogue and you're open to feedback mm -hmm. and and you're communicating with people from those cultures that that's really what we should strive for it's not necessarily perfection right, right. it's strive for making the effort and, and to caring. be better on a daily basis. Yeah. You're always going to fuck up. You're always going to have moments where you get called out, you slip up. But as long as you are willing to be humble and listen and be thankful that someone is taking the time to educate you and help you be better and understand that they're, no matter what their tone, the fact that they are taking the time out of their day, they are putting the emotional effort and labor in to educating you and saying, hey, by the way, you were wrong here. So, so it's interesting using the word educate because when you say educating somebody, it, it, it comes across almost as... Condescending? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. In, in a way that, that I could see people kind of recoil from that. Sure. Rather than saying, hey, I'm having a conversation with you and explaining to you why what you're... What the actions, the specific actions that you're taking are... are being coming across as negative towards me. Right. So, and, and that's more of an open exchange of human connection as sure. opposed to like, Hey, you're, you're not living your life in the right way. And I'm going to tell you the right way that you have to live it because I, I totally see people talk about, 
um, these conversations in that way, basically mm -hmm. saying people are just policing us and telling us you can't be this, you can't be that. And I'm just living my life. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm just, I am the way I am. And I think that that's a very common refrain. It's a very mm -hmm. common reaction that people have and they, they don't want to be educated. Right. And, and when we talk about it as education, I'm worried that, that potentially it, it breaks down the barrier, uh, or doesn't break down the barrier. It creates a barrier rather than breaking down the barriers. So the reason that I chose education specifically is because um, at the beginning of the conversation, you asked, um, how would I differentiate uh, someone who is overt versus right. inadvertent racist? And if you are doing something that I assume is inadvertently racist, that you didn't realize it was racist, that you didn't, you weren't actively trying to be racist while doing it, I am going to assume that there is a gap in your knowledge somewhere that you were not, you missed this like memo. You didn't catch this one particular thing to know, hey, by the way, what you're doing right now, it's not the move. But, but saying, that, saying that you didn't catch the memo is like saying that there was a, a memo that was put out that you should have caught. Right. When so, somebody could just simply have not had the right life experience or the right sure, exposure. And but that lacking of the right life experience is that's what I'm saying is a gap in your knowledge. Right. And so I'm trying to close that gap in your knowledge. And the best way to do that is to educate you about what that gap yeah, is. I'm trying to think of another example of this. So, so when, when so you like, I understand where you're coming from and that mm -hmm. like, it sounds like it's a harsh word, but I mean it in a very loving and respectful way. Like I I'm, that. I'm not going to sit here and like, preach at you and totally get that. And that's why we're able to have this conversation mm -hmm. because we have that understanding between each other. I'm worried about the, the, the situations where people don't have that understanding. And I'm, I'm just wondering if there's ways that we can communicate it so that they are more able to be receptive towards it. Right. So the best way to do that is the people who are closest to that person are the people who are going to have to call that person in. Yeah. So you and I are friends, so I can very easily and confidently say, hey, by the way, what you just said was kind of out of line mm -hmm. and you might not have realized it. So like, let me just let you know, like, this is the background as to why this is kind of offensive, why this is out of line. Right. And give but that, that to me doesn't doesn't sound like you're educating me. That that to me sounds like you're just simply explaining to me. I mean, it is education. I, I don't know why <laughs> the word somehow. <laughs> I'm teaching you something that you didn't know. Is yeah. that not education? Well, so if there was something about me that somebody didn't know, and, and we're mm -hmm. not talking culturally, we're right. not talking, but just something about me, like, let's say that something, you know, certain things bothered me, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you just had no idea about right. that, that, that if you were to say certain words in front of me, that they could affect me in, right. in a really awful way. And that, that can happen. It has nothing to Absolutely. do with culture. It could have, have to do with some sort of trauma yeah. that you just had no idea that, that I had. I wouldn't say that I'm educating you on the fact that those things are bothering me. I would say that I'm explaining it to you so that you know where I'm coming from. Right. You know what but I mean? But I mean, I, so it just, it's less patronizing because yeah. when I say educating, it's almost as if you should have known. Right. But and so, you may feel that people should have known when it comes to cultural appropriation, but the problem is people don't No, I get that. And we need to have conversations with them in a way that, that doesn't just turn them off. Correct. <laughs> and I totally get that. So I understand where you're coming from in that, like, yes, I understand that educating sounds like a kind of harsh word and there are varying degrees. Like, there are varying degrees to which someone may call you out or in. Um, so I might, as your friend, say, like, pull you off to the side and be like, hey, so that outfit that you're wearing right now, like, ooh, uh, you should you should probably never wear that one again. Like mm. this one, it's it's not the move. It's it's not 
it's offensive, right? And I'm not going to say that necessarily as like a patronizing thing. I want, as your friend, I want to help you be better and do better. Mm -hmm. So I would assume that my friends would want to help me be better and do better as well. Mm -hmm. And the best way that we can do that is to educate each other and to uplift each other and help fill in these gaps um, in each other's knowledge. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes total sense. Yeah. So... Uh, along the lines of different things that are common cultural appropriation, the same way that you may not have realized that AAVE was appropriation in your speech, um, one of the most common forms of appropriation <laughs> that's uh, happening on almost a daily basis is actually the appropriation in emojis. And this is where things get really That's so interesting because they've really made an effort over the past few years. Obviously, when emojis first came out, they were very kind of basic and boring and yes. also kind of white centric, even though well they bad. were just well these like Simpson yellow skin tones. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was their attempt to like make it non-racial. <laughs> yep. But they were very limited in terms of their scope. And I think that also comes from the uh, Silicon Valley's always had this issue of just basically not having enough cultural representation right. in Silicon Valley. So they're just the programmers, the designers, they're very limited in, in, in their ability to think these things through. So the, the first generations of things often struggle from that. But mm-hmm. since then, they've made an effort to diversify culturally. But would you say that some of this is done in a tone deaf way? So it's not necessarily that I think that the emojis themselves are tone deaf. It's how people are using the emojis that's oh, tone deaf. So it's not necessarily on like Apple or whoever is putting out the emojis. I mean, they could be better, but that's not. They are making an effort, though. They, they are making an effort. Efforts are made. Um, <laughs> but it's the. Which on the scale of not making an effort to making an effort is something. It's something. It's better than nothing. <laughs> or on we, the scale of not caring to we caring. We appreciate yeah. effort. Effort is great. Yeah. Um, It's the way that the emojis are being used. And one of the most common um, misuses of emojis is using uh, emojis from a skin tone that is darker than your own. And a lot of times... What would uh, be an example of that? It's not something I'm familiar with. So a perfect example of that is um, one of the most common emojis to be used very recently is the fist emoji, right? So... It is showing solidarity solidarity with Black Lives Matter and uh, the Black Power movement, right? So you have the common fist. As a white person, you should be using your white fist. But a lot of white people are, in fact, using a darker shade fist than their actual skin tone. Because they think that that's... By significantly... Showing their respect for the movement. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it, it is, it actually is traditionally in the black power movement, even it's not just a, a, a black skin hand. It is, it is a black glove, right. black leather glove, like the darkest, it's not even a skin tone. It's right. like, it's a black leather glove, right? right. It's dyed black. Mm-hmm. So somebody could think that they're using the darkest skin tone emoji showing, you know, solidarity with that, but you, you, that's, that's coming across as cultural appropriation. Yeah. So it's not just like, that's just a common example, but also you have like using like the clapping hands, using uh, darker skin tones for clapping hands or using darker skin tones for the praying hands as a means of like trying to add emphasis. Mm -hmm. And it's not adding emphasis. It is virtual blackface. If that is not your skin tone, don't use it. Mm. 
like I mean, it's so interesting because thinking about other ways that this happens where people use mm-hmm. different skin tones yeah. um, in quite a few cultures, there is a discrimination towards people within that culture who have darker skin tones than lighter skin tones. And I don't just mean uh, different races. I mean, within the same races. Colorism is a thing. Mm-hmm. And um, this is big, I think, in South Asia and Southeast Asia. And so it is common for people to use a light, probably to use a lighter. I think I'm probably hypothesizing here, but. I think I've heard that it is common for people to use a lighter skin tone emoji, maybe then, or how they want to think of themselves as being lighter. Right. Right. So that, that would be a case where it's, it's people are doing it in a way that's not even healthy for themselves. Right. And you would think that going back in the other direction could potentially be kind of re-embracing a positivity towards darker skin tones, but it's not. Right. It's like I said, it's virtual blackface and it's using the skin tone of someone that you're not to give off either a vibe where, Oh, I'm cooler or I'm more liberal or I'm an ally, or you're trying to boost yourself in some way by using a darker skin tone than you actually have. And like, there's already plenty of issues with the fact that like the default tone on in emojis is yellow, um, which is, rather white centric if you're looking at the Simpsons, but that's like, well, actually this, so this article that, that you showed me mm-hmm. that, that goes into depth on this is really Which interesting obviously we're gonna because like. it's not immediately obvious to somebody who hasn't thought about this, why that Simpsons, why that Simpsons skin tone is white centric, because I think what the technology companies were trying to do is by using this non realistic skin tone, make mm-hmm. it non racial. So it just applies to everybody. It's not saying this is it. But the problem is we have this historical context of this being used in a show called The Simpsons, Mm -hmm. where on that show, only the white characters had that skin tone. And it turns out that they actually used darker skin tones for people that they were representing as being from. um, uh, Oh, yeah. All of the actual other races. uh, By PC, like the by POC. are Can you actu- explain that by POC? B, it's, it's an acronym. Yeah, see. Uh, what is the B-I? Sorry. Wow. Uh, B-I-P-O-C. So uh, black indigenous people of color. Black and, and indigenous people of color or that they're one person? They're, they're a person who is black. Black and or. Meaning all people that fit under either of those categories. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So black indigenous people of color also includes uh asian people Mm -hmm. because they are people of color as well Mm -hmm. um and when we say black we don't necessarily just mean african-american that also includes indian that also includes um caribbean Caribbean, which is also of african descent but correct um so it has it's basically any brown person, because that is also uh, a Latinx thing as well. Like, they are POC. They are absolutely melanated. They've got that color in them. So we just want to make sure, again, we pay homage to the fact that indigenous people are in the equation, that they are in the picture. So that's why you have the BIPOC. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes back to the why we call them indigenous and not native or when did we start doing that? So I don't know exactly when that transferred over, but it is common enough that like you see the acronym for it, not necessarily realizing that that's what the I stands for. Right. All right. Yeah. That makes sense. So, I mean, speaking of the Simpsons though, it is interesting because 
people don't think of, of that skin tone as being white centric, but because right. the Simpsons specifically used it mm -hmm. as a white centric skin tone and the, the people of color on the show had a different skin tone. Yep. Therefore that yellow skin tone is associated. They were distinctly brown. With, so, so whoever came, whoever had that idea to use that skin tone as being a non, assuming that was their, their, their intention. And I could just mm -hmm. be giving them too much credit here for assuming that that was their intention. Um, but assuming that was then, that was a mistake. <laughs> it was bad. unfortunate. So then they decided to branch out into inc incorporating the full range of skin tones. I think they have they, they done a good job there. They got closer. I mean, it's obviously not, there's more than six skin tones or whatever right. number they have. But so but I mean, it's close enough that like when you're dealing with emoji, like okay, it's not. It's like a foundation match. You're not necessarily going to get your perfect foundation match. You're not necessarily going to get. I've never had that problem. I know you just. <laughs> You just have the most perfect skin. It's so easy to match. So, okay. So, so they're making an effort. Um, but, but, but it's, it's the way that people have now started using these different emojis Correct. where it has become problematic. Yes. Um, so that's where it gets into the digital blackface. And this actually happens in GIFs as well. Um, where I like that you say GIF. Yeah. Well, high five. I mean, team GIF forever it's yes, gif it's get gif. over it exactly um you wouldn't say like i'm not even, you know what <laughs> let's Never not mind. go into that no. um <laughs> this whole other argument um so when you're using gifs a lot of people especially white people will use gifs of black people to express a particular sentiment um but there are a wide range of gifts that are available of white people expressing that exact same sentiment. See, this, this is challenging, though, because that I could almost see as you're using somebody expressing the sentiment as if they are your friend. And let's say you do have friends and you're in a community of people where, you know, you've got mixtures of all kinds of cultures. And, you know, let's say you use Mindy Cowling expressing something. You right. know what I mean? Like, is that do you have to specifically only find if I'm white, I can only use a white person because these, these gif expressions, I mean, it's a fascinating way of expressing that it's just like exploded over the past decade sure. and being adopted mm -hmm. by the, especially the younger generation who has no concept of any of these larger issues that we're talking about. Uh, that, I mean, give the younger generation credit. They're a lot more woke than you think they are. They're also a lot not. Look, I'm. And they also, a lot of like, they haven't quite reached a level they're still young. Okay, fine. Let's They're not get into young, that either. Let's not like, get into that either. All right. Where I was going with this, though, is it, it almost feels like you're breaking down barriers when somebody can identify as any one of these individual or separate um, actors or or, or um, musicians or whatever it is that are expressing something in a certain way, and, and you pull that gif right. to use it. So that's the thing. Like, sometimes like the Parks and Rec gif. The, the, what's his name? Um, uh you know what I'm talking about? I mean, there's a lot from there's Andy. a lot from from Parks and Rec. You know, but for example, there's so many of those, and it's like if you're not from that race, you can't use that as an expression of the expression that you're feeling. So that's not necessarily the case. It's when you are relying on only using black faces to express your emotional range. But how do you decide that somebody's only doing it? I mean, versus it's a one off. Okay, so like a one-off situation, like sometimes there are situations where like when you're looking for a specific gift, it is kind of hard to find one. 
like Beyonce has so many good gifts. I can't use any of those gifts to, to be like, I'm feeling that right now because she expresses something that not a lot of other people express in the way that she does. And I get that that's part of the, 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 the appropriation within the gay community that, that we talked about earlier. But mm-hmm. this, is, this is so interesting because it gets back to the language thing where, again, we're, we're, we're not in the level where it's like, you know, the same level of, of cultural appropriation as the hair. Right. Right. We're now at a, at a more minor level where we can have some debate about it, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I'm struggling with this. It's really interesting. Yeah. You know, because like there, there's probably going to be a time where I'm like, yeah, I'm really identifying with the way that Beyonce is moving in this gift right now. And I want to send that to somebody and being like, this is what I'm feeling right now. But that's inappropriate. Sure. So. Again, it feels respectful to me. So it depends. Right. So like, Cause I'm respecting Beyonce as her full identity. I'm not whitewashing her. Right. The thing is, there's so many times where people are using black people in gifts as a means of seeming cooler or as a means of uh gaining more social clout or like because i mean i can black, see how that can be true but i right. don't see how it's necessarily true right so black culture is very fascinating and it is very uh magnetic so it's something that a lot of people want to be a part of. It's something that a lot of people want to engage with. It's something that a lot of people want to identify with. Um, and why is that a bad thing? I mean, it's not a bad thing, but there's a lot of ways that people are trying to engage with black culture that are not respectful. And I this, get that. I'm trying to see how this specifically is that. So the digital black. And I can face, definitely see how it can be that. Like right. I can see how people can totally use these things in a way you're like, come on, like you're being disrespectful. You're not actually engaging with the community. You're maybe using it in an ironic way where it's like it's, it's not showing respect. But I, I, I think I can see ways where people can do it in a way that it's not disrespectful. Yeah. So like one of my friends, white woman, wonderful human, like has always been an ally, has always tried to be an ally, has always tried to better herself. The one place where she continues to slip up is every time she sends an emoji, she's using black hands emojis. Okay, the emoji thing I, I get. Like she is forever using. I, I get that. I like totally get that. Hands I totally get that. So uh, it's kind of the same thing where if you're consistently always relying on black people to show your emotions through gifts, that becomes digital blackface. Okay. Okay, so I, I see how this is something that's it's more a question of pattern. Right. Not necessarily like always, if you do this one thing, you, you are instantly time, being inappropriate. Again. It's a question it's, of pattern. It's a question of, of relying on, you know, another culture to, to show your solidarity with the culture in a way that's like, it's just a little bit insensitive. Right. Okay. And again, everyone's going to fuck up. Everyone's going to make mistakes. Sometimes you're going to forget. You're going to send that Beyonce gift or another one that keeps popping into my head is is the dude from the wire what was his name the the omar was it omar the dude oh my god he was just such an iconic character and he just had so many good lines Mm -hmm. that there's just so many good gifts of him that fit into so many good scenarios where you're just like i need that gift of omar right now i might have the wrong name i think it was omar he was he was the one he he was he was the outcast he he robbed the drug dealers he lived on the edges of society i believe he was gay um, I just never just saw the wire. Such so. a fascinating character, and, and he was just such a badass. He just didn't give a fuck about anyone, and and everybody can identify with that. You know what I mean? Sure. And it wasn't because he was black. Right. Like his his it, it, he almost transcended you know skin color. Like it, it wasn't about his skin color. He wasn't mm-hmm. doing this just as a black man. He was just a badass person. Right. 
who the actor happened to be a black person who portrayed it. Um, yeah, I mean, so this is interesting. It, it, I think we're getting into area into an area where there is still some amount of gray. Sure. And obviously we're going to post links to all of the like sources of information that have, uh, informed this conversation on both sides. Um, because I do have a perfect article about uh, digital blackface through GIFs mm-hmm. for you. Okay. Yeah, I need to read that. But this is what's so interesting about this whole conversation. Mm-hmm. I think we've, we've, we've spanned quite a, quite a decent um, uh, area here where yeah, there, are, there are things that are kind of very distinctively cultural appropriation yeah. in a way that's kind of obviously offensive. Even if the, a lot of people don't see it as obviously offensive, but when you have the conversation with them, it's easy to explain it to them. Mm-hmm. At least that was my experience at, yeah. in the way that we've had this conversation. Eventually, you kind of get down into the nitty gritty of things that are happening right now, mm-hmm. that are evolving right now. Right. And and it's this, this bubbling of culture where you want cultures to be able to blend to a certain degree. You want cultures to be able to be inspired by each other. You want people to be able to identify with different cultures so that we can feel more like we're all part of the same human race. Right. We want that to happen, right. but there are still parts where you have to be cognizant of the power dynamics. You have to be cognizant, cognizant of the way it's coming across to other people. Correct. And so the point, I think, with this conversation, the takeaway for me with this conversation is that you need to be continuing to maintain open dialogue and being willing to have conversations with people and being open to hearing from people that, hey, maybe that thing you, that you did was not respectful. And, and rather than recoiling them being like, I'm not racist, I can do that. Right. <laughs> You'd be like, okay, I'm going to understand you. I'm going to try to learn from you. And I'm going to try to adjust my behavior in such a way that I can, you know, hopefully not, not, you know, offend you again in a similar way. And I, at the end of the day, we just, we, we need to be, we need to be better humans. And, and that's, that's what this is about. It's about being more understanding and, and just having better communication. Yeah. Better and just learning how to be more respectful in your day-to-day life when dealing with your fellow humans. Yeah. So it's not even necessarily that, like, again, no one's expecting perfection. No one's expecting you to always know every single thing about cultural appropriation and every single thing about race. Yeah. But when someone says to you, hey, what you were doing was actually kind of offensive, sit with that for a moment before you get defensive understand where they might be coming from, understand how difficult it may have been for them to even say it to you in the first place, knowing that it may be a very triggering topic. It may be a very sensitive topic. It may be difficult for them to actually approach you because maybe they don't know you as well, but like it's an opportunity that they see to say, Hey, by the way, I see you might want to actually do better and let me just like help you out here, friend. Here's how you do better. No matter how much it hurts to hear in that moment, always take it from a place of love. Because again, no matter how it's being said to you, even if it's being said in a way that you feel is kind of condescending, even if you feel that the person is being kind of aggressive, it's coming to you from a place of love and coming to you from a place of respect because they obviously have enough respect for you to think that you not only have the ability to do better, but you have the desire to do right. better. And the important thing to remember is that it, it's when, when somebody is speaking, opening up to you about how something that you've done has affected, to, has affected them, has affected them. Even if it feels um, difficult in the moment to hear that, it's important to remember that the alternative there is that they simply didn't say anything and that you simply missed an opportunity to connect with somebody. And it's only when we actually have these 
difficult conversations and open up about them and share with each other how how our actions affect each other that we can that we can build better relationships and, and break down barriers so even if it's challenging in the moment um, at least take to heart that somebody reaching out to you in that capacity um, is doing it with the intention of enabling you to have a better understanding of their perspective. Because if we all just walk away from these scenarios and just end up, you know, being like, oh, that motherfucker, you know, and not engaging, uh, then then that's how we end up with these cultural divides where where it becomes much more difficult to to have these conversations. So absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the takeaway here. This is this has been a yeah. really awesome conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know that it's not always easy to, um, you know, jump into these conversations, especially with people that maybe just haven't taken enough time to learn enough about it on their own. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, but at the end of the day, I think that the more we can do this kind of thing, the, 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 the better, uh, our, our world and, and our country and our society will be. So I really look forward to having a lot more of these kind of conversations, yes. especially as we get into the really like nuanced gray areas of how things are bubbling and changing right now. <laughs> yes. That is so exciting to me because there can be conversation about that where maybe not everybody agrees. And yeah. honestly, we'd love to hear what you guys think Absolutely. about all the things that we talked about here today. What has your experience been with cultural appropriation? Um, you know, how have you approached these issues with, with people around you? And, and you know, what, what advice do you have for other people who are thinking about these, these issues? We'd love to hear from you. Leave us a comment down below. Send us a message. Uh, yeah. Send us a message on Twitter, Facebook. We're on all the social media Reddit platforms. Reddit even. Reddit. We have a Reddit fun time program on Reddit slash r slash fun time program. Mm -hmm. uh, anywhere that you want to have a conversation with us, we will engage with you. We are all about having fun and having conversations in a way that brings people together. So we, we really want to have a dialogue. Exactly. We really want to hear from you guys. Um, we really want to uh, uh, start thinking about the next things that we're going to be talking about. We, we're hoping to do a few of these every week. Uh, we're planning to jump right back into it tomorrow. We're going to be right back here in the studio. Yes, we are. We have a whole list of topics that we're going to be jumping into. Yes. And they're going to be sometimes a lot more fun and a lot more frivolous. A little bit more lighthearted. <laughs> not always quite so heavy. Not, not always, always two so hours heavy. long. Are we? No. Yeah, we're, we're getting up there in time. Um, but but yeah, we'd really appreciate if you guys could could take the time to, you know, drop us a like or, or subscribe to the channel on YouTube or on whatever podcasting platform where you like to catch this kind of content. Uh, it, it really helps for us to get to get exposure to a wider audience so that we can we can have, you know, more interesting conversations with more people and and even bring on interesting guests who can Absolutely. help to educate us on these topics. Because, you know, at the end of the day, the only way you can really learn about these kinds of things is talking to people. So, yep, Absolutely. Well, we look forward to hearing from you soon and seeing you again even sooner. Have a wonderful and safe rest of your day. And remember to wear your fucking masks. And remember to have some fun. <laughs> See you guys next time.